Hello and a big welcome to all of you out there. Today I have a special guest from the other side of the world, from Tasmania. Welcome to you, Miranda Thompson. Thanks for having me, Anne. It's really nice to see you. We have um, been in touch before and I know you are doing a marvelous job with your horses. So please tell us a little about your your life. How did you get into horses and uh, what happened and where are you today? Um, it's actually, it's quite funny. My my mum is a coach um, and my my dad was into boats. Um, so uh, my my father's side of the family are all about yachts and boats and his, it was, was actually um, his great-great-grandfather was in the first fleet who came out to Australia. Um, so boats and horses don't really mix that well. <laughs> <laughs> so we would spend half the year away on the yacht and the other half of the year um, at home with horses. And my brother actually works in the yachting industry he lives in monaco um and i have taken the horse side so it's a bit of a mix um yeah. but my mum and her whole family were horse people um and i think i just sort of learnt via osmosis to start with because i went with her everywhere that she was teaching and i just sort of took it all in and learnt it yeah. Yeah. and then i was really 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 fortunate that my mum had an excellent coach and she let me start having lessons when I was very very young in classical dressage with a coach called Glennis Shandley and Glennis was originally trained by uh, Franz Moringa and then by Nuno Oliveira and then by um, Edgar Lickfart so lots and lots and lots of really solid good horse training and I didn't even really know that there was another way that people trained horses because that's the way I was brought up. And I just sort of thought, well, this is this is how everybody has dressage lessons. Yes. And it wasn't until I was in my mid-20s that I realised that actually the way that I learnt isn't actually that common anymore. Um, and Glennis had said to me when I was about 14, she said, you need to learn to be a coach. Nobody's teaching this stuff anymore. And I sort of thought, oh, yeah, whatever. I was 14. I just... <laughs> <laughs> but every day now, I, her words are in my head because nobody's teaching this stuff anymore. I say nobody. There are a few. But it's, it's quite difficult to find someone with the depth of knowledge of starting their own horses and bringing them up through life to be good citizens and just all-round horses. Not for fancy shows or for fancy ribbons or for you know just horses horses are to be horses and to be trained well and to stay sound and fit and healthy their whole life so that's how my background knowledge sort of came just from from, so, from my perspective luck yes yeah. I've worked hard since but I was just lucky that I learnt the correct way to start with so so you learned uh, something about young horses as well and what what is what was the difference between your growing up and today um so my mum um we used to stand a, a an australian pony stallion at stud 
Um, so when I was very young, I was handling foals and the yeah. stallion and mares and all sorts of things. Yeah. Um, and the breeding of the ponies, there used to be a specific competition in Australia for for small ponies ridden by child riders. And so he used to get used a lot to breed children's ponies for these special competitions. And those competitions sort of faded out. And so he wasn't getting used much anymore as a stallion. Um, so we gelded him so that I could take him to pony club <laughs> because you can't ride a stallion at pony club. Um, so the young horse education has, again, it's just been, I, I was very lucky very yeah. lucky to have it as part of my everyday life I didn't have to go elsewhere to learn it and very lucky that my mum picked a very good coach and that I <laughs> complained enough that I wanted to ride too <laughs> and she let me <laughs> yeah yeah so today you you mean people buy a, a horse that is ready to compete and then they're out and competing and yeah this and is it yeah the, the depth of the knowledge is missing a lot um, yeah. But I think people are also a little bit frightened because perception is that they need to send their horse off to somebody else mm. to do all of the things. Yes. And I like to teach people. That's, that's what I do all day. I teach teach people with their horses, but I teach them how to do those horse handling things from, from a baby horse. Yes. And people that have ridden, some of these people have ridden their whole life and they still think that they're not good enough to train a young horse. And mm. I'm like, absolutely you can. I can help you learn it. Yeah. And I think if if we don't reach out to people and help them train horses, we're going to run out of people that can train horses. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> and that's a really scary thing because our horses deserve to have, you know, knowledgeable people. Mm to help them through life because we're the ones that put them in paddocks and stables probably where you are. Ours live outside yeah. in the mud. <laughs> um, in the mud, yes. <laughs> yes, in the mud. Winter in Tasmania. Um, and I think we owe it to the horses to make sure that we get as much knowledge into people as we can so that yeah. they can live a good life. And you are also, you told me that you are breeding horses yourself and and you help people when they buy a foal to to go the whole yeah. way. Tell, tell me about I, it. I love it. I love it. Yeah. So it was sort of a bit of an accident the way I got into that. So like I said, my mum my used to stand a pony stallion when I was a small child. Um, and since then, we didn't, we didn't breed any horses. We, you know, I had some racehorses off the track or I had you know we didn't have very much money I didn't ever buy a fancy horse um and then I thought well you know they've all got all of these problems that you've got to undo before that you can put the work into them and then being racehorses off the track sometimes they become unsound or whatever I thought well maybe I'll, I'll buy a young horse so I I'd spent a lot of time training a horse that I had and I sold him um, and used that money to buy a young horse, like a, a very young horse that hadn't been broken in yet. Mm. And it was so much easier because he had no problems. Yeah. And I'm like, okay, this is really, really good because I know how to train the horse and I've got the help from my mum and my coach. 
if I don't know something, I can ask. And then I was actually looking for a young horse for a pupil. And um, one of my, my mentors is um, an older gentleman who ended up, again, sort of by accident, with a, with a lovely stallion that we had actually bred from. And he ended up with this stallion that was imported from the Netherlands a very long time ago. Um, and he had two young stallions at home um, that just weren't necessarily meant to be stallions but hadn't been gelded yet. <laughs> so one of these I bought. Um, instead of buying my pupil a horse, there was nothing that was suitable for this pupil. And I actually bought a young rising three-year-old stallion. Um, and he is just, he's divine. He's got the most beautiful temperament. He is just a lovely, lovely horse to have around. Um, and so then I, I bought a mare um, and we had a foal. <laughs> and then I ended up with the other stallion. So unfortunately, when COVID came, um, Leeson is the man's name, Leeson Surrett. So he is, he's actually a, a former FEI show jumping course designer. Um, but he went back to England. He's from England. And he got stuck there during COVID and he hasn't okay. come back to Australia yet. <laughs> um, he's yet. lost his eyesight. Wow. <laughs> so he can't see very well and he can't, he can't design show jumping courses anymore because his vision is gone um, and he can't look at his own horses. So he's bred all these lovely horses with the view that he wants someone to ride them and he can go and watch them jump and he can't. So he sent a few to me and one of them was his pride and joy young stallion. Um, we call him Donald. <laughs> um, and I also have Donald's mother, whose name is Gail. And Gail has had a foal to my other stallion. So they're, they're all sort of related at, at yeah. my house. So mm -hmm. they're either related to one of the stallions or the other or both. And his lines and his breeding and his just, as I said before, they're just horses like Yes, they have fancy breeding and they look nice and they're pretty and all the stuff, but they are real people's horses. They have no bad temperament faults. They have no idiotic tendencies. They have, they're, they're just lovely horses and they have enough of the bloodlines and the movement to be really good stars, but they're also friendly enough for amateurs. So that's sort of what my view is about we're going to breed some horses that an everyday person that only has one horse they're not a professional if they want their one horse of a lifetime I can help them because I know that the temperaments are good my daughter goes out in the paddock and feeds the stallions which I know people are going to go oh that's dangerous you shouldn't do that <laughs> but that's what they like they are just beautiful and all of their foals are beautiful lovely easy to handle train and for someone who has been told their whole life that, oh, you have to send it to a professional, even if you've been riding your whole life, I'd just like to give someone the confidence to say, actually, no, I don't. I can do this myself. Because if you pick the right animal that is trainable and lovely, it is so much easier than fixing someone else's problems. Mm. Yes. <laughs> I, I, that's I... the way that you would like it to be. 
I also say that. Why why uh, send your horse away if you're going to ride it yourself later on? I can understand a breeder. Maybe they have they are too old or or don't want to do it themselves. But if it's a horse that you would keep and you are going to ride afterwards as well, I think it's much, much better that you do the work yourself. Yeah, absolutely. And you get such a better relationship with the horse. Yes. You really do. And so one of my, actually my firstborn, I call him my firstborn. <laughs> so the first one that I bred from my first stallion and um, a friend's mare, which is actually a half-sister to my other stallion. <laughs> He's a rising five-year-old now. Um, and I had I had surgery on both of my feet last year. So he was he was ready to back. He'd been driven and long reined around the farm and lunged and won the saddle. But I hadn't got around to actually riding him yet. And I had surgery on my feet. So I knew I wasn't going to be able to ride for quite some time. So I sent him to one of my pupils and I see this pupil every week um, and have been doing so for a very long time. When I first met her, she was only 13. So she sort of learnt my ways. She's now in her 20s. Um, and she was the first one to ride him. And um, I'd, I'd recently hurt my back. So he he got started under saddle and he tried to cut his leg off. <laughs> and he came home to, to the vet and had the leg wrapped and was recovering for quite some months. And now he's, he's perfectly fine again. And I got back on and rode him and everything was good. And then I hurt my back. <laughs> so I'm like, oh, doctor hadn't given me the all clear to ride again yet. Horse hasn't been ridden since previous to the leg injury. And so my pupils got him back again. And he had six months off. The last thing that he did was put his leg in a fence. And she walked him around a property and she took him to the arena and she got on, walked him around, trotted him around, gave him a pat, got off. That was as dramatic as it was. No yeah. lunging, no chasing them around, no, no hassle at all. Wow. And, and today she wrote, she, so she's now had, uh, I don't know, maybe 15 rides on him um, back in this time. And she just said, I just love him. I just trust him so much. Like everything that he does, there, there's no problems. You know, he's a little bit cheeky or a little bit distracted if the other horses gallop around or he's a bit, you know, because he's young. He's, he's not yet five. And it's the baby horse stuff, but there's no unsafe behaviour at all anywhere in him. And she's like, this is so good. And I think she... Like, like I did with, with my coach, I think she sort of thought I was a bit crazy recommending that she breed her own horse when she was so young. So she has one of her own who is rising two. Um, and at that stage, she had a race horse off the track that could be quite dangerous <laughs> and has quite a lot of injuries now showing up now that he's in his teens and he's he's retired because he's not comfortable enough or safe enough to ride anymore because of his body issues and I said look everyone will tell you oh you're crazy to breed your own horse and start it yourself and this one that she was sitting on today like I said he's rising five so that was you know six years ago in the planning and yes it took six years but we've got a beautiful horse that is no hassle to anyone 
and that everybody loves, even her non-horsey partner loves him because he's just, he's delightful. He really is. And even if it takes you six years to learn how to start the horse under saddle, that doesn't matter. The no, horse certainly it's, won't. It's not the destination. It's it's a no. way to it. And uh, and, and you yeah. should enjoy that. And and if you have a horse that, that had trouble before, maybe you never come that far. Maybe you can ride it for one year and then it's over because of all the, the old troubles. When you have a young horse, you know what's happened to it. So. Yeah, and that's that's a really big thing for me personally in my confidence. If I know all the things that the horse has done mm. and if there have been any problems, like so I know he put his leg in a fence, obviously, but he didn't panic or struggle because he'd been taught about what happens when ropes and things go around your legs and taught to stand still. So, yes, he did cut it a lot, but he didn't. Like he should have lost the leg. If he had a bit of horse that kicked and mm. panicked, that would have been a life-threatening injury to him. Yeah. Um, but horses that I've had who've been started before I got them or ex-race horses because we all had some of those because that was all we could afford. And there'll be some little thing that might set them off and turn them into a blanked out not listening to you anymore horse and you don't even know what it was and and so you don't know how to retrain it or avoid it because you don't know whatever else has gone on in their life so for me and my confidence it's it's a wonderful thing to have a young horse that you bring up yourself because you develop that bond and you know if there have been any issues that display um I have another horse who's now 20, almost 22. I got him as a three-year-old. He was already started under saddle, lightly. Um, And he has a fear of noises that he can't see. Things like a whippersnipper. I don't know what you call a whippersnipper over there. Brush cutter, like a, you know, (laughs) machine that you trim grass, Ah, long grass with. Yeah, yeah. Makes a really high whiny zippity noise. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, that sort of thing or chainsaws or like mechanical type high-pitched noises. Yes. If he can see it, he's fine. But if it's behind the trees somewhere, he panics. Mm. And I don't quite know what caused it, but I've had him for such a long time now that I know if I hear the noise, <laughs> that <laughs> he's going to be very worried. <laughs> <laughs> but the first few times it happened, I fell off. Yeah. Because he's, he's very, very athletic and he'd suddenly just spook and spin. Whereas now I know if I hear a noise, mm. he is going to worry. Yeah. And I, 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 I can't prevent it, but I can prevent falling off. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Um, so little things that you don't know in a horse's history. And of course, things can happen in the paddock when you're not there. I'm not saying that I know every single thing that's ever happened to my horse because that's not logical. No. But at least I know if things have been introduced in a way that is not threatening to them and that if something does frighten them, what that thing was. So then I can learn how to deal with it and how to get them comfortable with it. So that does a lot for my confidence because I know my horse. Mm. 
and through training young horses, you introduce them to new stuff a lot. And that that's how you get to know your horse. <laughs> yes. And the journey is also good for yourself, I think. Um, as you said, many people, they, they just buy a horse and then they go to competition and uh, they, they don't really know the groundwork. And how, how is that feeling when you are going to a competition, you don't know how, mm. how it's going to go, uh, you don't trust your horse, you don't trust yourself and, and all of this. Yeah, yeah, and the groundwork I think is so overlooked not it seems like uh, some people have this sort of instant requirement they want a horse that has been to shows and done stuff so that they can mm. get on and and we we saw some people at at a at a venue a few weeks ago <clears throat> pardon me who um they were in a line to to get on and use there was one mounting block and they wanted to use the mounting block and it took them forever to get on their horses yes, because their horses didn't stand still at the mounting block mm. and everybody's waiting to use the mounting block. And sort of looking at them thinking, oh, it's such a simple thing. It really is. Yeah. Yeah. And it doesn't take one person very long to get on a horse from a mounting block. But when you've got 10 of them, it took a really long time. <laughs> yes. And then they sort of started realizing actually there's a problem with this mm. and i said well look we can help you to teach your horse how to stand still at the mounting block and just stand and wait for you to get on mm. because it's just important for the horse's overall training to be able to do that but also it's important for the person so when i say important for the person i think that instant mentality that a lot of people have they're like, oh, but it's going to take me like three weeks to train it to stand still at the mounting box. Mm -hmm. Yep, it might. Yep, <laughs> that's right, yeah. <laughs> but you get 30 years of your horse standing still at the mounting block Yeah. for that three weeks of time. Mm -hmm. Whereas right now you're going to have an argument with your horse every time you go to the mounting block. And yeah. I, I just don't, I, that's the bit that, that it, it frustrates me. And I don't get frustrated yes. by a lot of things. I don't get frustrated by the horses because they're telling no. us. I get frustrated by the people who um, they don't think it's worth their time to do something a little bit slower when the outcome is so much better because mm -hmm. they want this instant thing to happen. Yeah. And that's the same with the young horses. They don't want to breed a young horse because they want something that's already going and already been to competitions and seen stuff because they want it now, mm. not in five years' time. And for me the benefits of waiting five years they're so good my yeah. horses are lovely they really are and every time I get another horse breed another horse start another like because I haven't I haven't had a horse that's already been broken in since since my 22 year old so it's you know almost 20 years since I've had a horse that somebody else has already sat on first every horse I start is better than the last one mm -hmm. And that, that doesn't mean that I haven't had good horses. I've had some very, very good horses. But each one teaches me a little bit more. So the next time I start a horse, I get a little bit better at it. And I like each horse better because I've learned so much. And I, I, just, I just love having the horses help me do so much. 
But what if um, if a person comes to you and say, I, I want a horse and, and I don't feel that, that I'm good enough for a young horse. I wanted a professional to ride the horse first. What, what are you telling them? I usually invite them to come to my place and they can see everything from the 22 year old. We've actually got a, we have a Shetland pony too, who's 27. So they can see everything from 27 years old to foal and see how they're all handled, how their expressions on their faces look, how they can be handled by anybody. And I can teach them those things in an appropriate way for the age of the horse to say, if you do this with this horse at this age, by the time he gets to this age here, this is what he can do. And the techniques to do it are actually really, really simple but you just have to pay attention to the horse's expression and the horse's body language. And I can teach them how to do that. It's a learnable skill. Otherwise, no one would be able to do it. <laughs> so, you know, they seem to think it's some magic. It's not, it's not magic. You just no. pay attention and want to learn and you can, you can learn. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, that's great. That's and I, great. like, I mean, yes, yes, I could sell them a horse. I could, I could potentially make a lot of money selling them a ready-made horse but I don't think that's the right thing to do for the horses or for the people because as I said earlier I think we need more people learning better horse skills before we lose all that old knowledge mm. so I'm really keen to pass on that knowledge so that I get more people like my pupil that's got my young horse at the moment and she's she's fabulous and she's only in her early 20s so if we can have more people like that who are willing to have a go, not just want the quick fix, I think our horses will be much better in the future than mm -hmm. if we hold all the knowledge to ourselves and just sell them the finished product. And also, if if the groundwork is there, if they have, have this uh, connection with the horse, when you come up in in the classes or what you call it uh, it would go much much faster because you have this yes. connection from the start you don't have to uh, print in what the horse can or cannot you have been all the way through it yeah absolutely and that is actually one thing that I have found that I didn't do so well a few years ago and now I'm like I said, each horse teaches me something. Um, a lot of my horses weren't quite so good for other people mm. because I'm the one that does everything with them. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> so I had a saddle fitter come and and he's a um, very good horse person as well, used to ride and compete, um, but he's he was injured. He's got a very bad back and he doesn't move very agilely. And we were trying to put saddles on the young stallion before he was um, ever under saddle, just to, to get a sort of feel for what sort of saddle he might need. And he was really quite wary. And his expression was quite different because he'd never seen this person before. Nobody else had ever sat anything on his back except me. Um, and then my uh, another young horse that was started under saddle, um, when I hurt my feet, 
uh, I got my my pupil to come and trim his feet because I wasn't capable of it. And I'm the only person who has ever trimmed his feet. So he was a bit, he was, he was very good about it because, you know, he'd been handled and everything mm. quite a lot up until then, but nobody had trimmed his feet and he was perfectly fine while I was there. But I went out of sight for 10 minutes or so. And when I came back, she said to me, he actually was quite different when you left his sight. He wasn't as relaxed mm. because it was only her there handling her feet. And so now I've learned I actually need to get lots of other people to handle my horses as well, <laughs> even though I'm misindependent, <laughs> um, because it's better for the horses. Because if something goes wrong, they need some. They need to be able mm. to trust another person, and they need to keep that other person safe as well. So every horse will need a vet at one point in their life, or someone different to catch them, or someone to put a rug on. So I've now made a very good point of that and and I make sure that I invite other people to come and handle them and touch them and rug them yeah just because it's better for the horse and also the people that think that they're not ready for a young horse they can yeah. see the difference mm. and it it's actually quite obvious on the horse's face when I do something compared to when they do something and they can see it clearly yeah. And yes. you say these expressions and this horse's body language, they're sort of the bits that people don't teach you about. Mm. They're really important and you have mm. to pay attention to it. And once you see it, then it'll make your life heaps easier. Yeah. Yeah. I think uh, that, you know, we talk about this uh, internet thing and, and everything. I, I can see a, a good thing in it uh, you and I can sit here and talk <laughs> but yes, also yes. you can you can tell the people out there what it is I know that there have been a lot of talking about uh, bits and and those uh, things the the last uh, year or so because people are waking up and can see this is not okay so I think mm -hmm. somehow that people are more aware of it today i think they are i think they are um so there's i think a couple of different sides to it sometimes it's the best thing because like you said i'm sitting here talking to you yeah we would never have met otherwise no <laughs> um <laughs> and people can research things whether they do it well or not is a whole different story um, and they can they can get access to all different types of training mm. and they can choose which things they'd like to learn and they can learn it remotely really easily the, the days of having to have the coach in your own space literally with no. you they're, they're well gone um but also they can sort of get led down the wrong path easily as well if they don't know enough. <laughs> mm -hmm. So, I mean, that sort of bounces me back to saying, well, we need to teach more people our knowledge. <laughs> yeah. Um, because something that I see regularly, which I'm still not sure how to, how to help, we might, might be a regional thing because in Tasmania, in Australia, we have, a lot of people who have enough land at home to have a pony for their yeah. children. 
which is a very fortunate thing, but also sometimes a very scary thing because they might not have any horse knowledge at all. No. But they've got a few acres of land and they buy a pony and then they send the child to pony club and that's that's great too. They learn lots of good things at pony club. And then they might think, oh, my, my child needs to learn more stuff. So we'll send them to get lessons from someone and they might send them to the absolutely wrong person but they think they're doing the right thing. They are genuinely trying to get their child help mm-hmm. and teach them things that they don't know about, but they don't know enough to make the right decision about who to send them to because everybody has more knowledge than them. Mm. So they, they are genuinely trying to do the right thing and sometimes the kids get hurt or the horses get hurt and it's, it's something that I'm not sure how we can address yet. Um, but it's definitely on my mental radar all the time mm. to think how can I help the non-horsey people that would like to be a little bit involved to make that right decision. Yeah. And I sort of think it does actually come down to the horse's expression. Mm. Because even even just in a still photo, you can see a lot if you know yes. what to look for in the horse's face. Yeah. And you can say, well, you can humanise it and say, mm. this horse looks happy, this horse does not look happy. Mm. If you want your horse to be comfortable then you need to follow this type of path rather than hit him with the whip when he stops at the jump we don't do that yeah and that is also the same when you look at facebook for instance people put out a a question there uh my horse is doing this and this uh have you any suggestions and you look what (laughs) what people are saying (laughs) people are never been on a horse and and Mm. uh, i don't know what it is but it it's possible this and this and this instead of going to the the right persons yeah yeah and they they, like i said these people are trying to do the right thing they're trying to ask for help Mm. so it's not their fault that they don't know yet because they are genuinely trying to learn Mm. but they learn from the wrong people (laughs) yeah sometimes not always sometimes they get lucky but yes. they don't know how to make that choice. They don't know how to distinguish the good advice from the bad advice. So, yeah, and you're dead right. Facebook will bring out all sorts. <laughs> and some of it will be very good advice and some of it will be very bad advice. Yes. For someone who doesn't know the value of each piece of advice. it's Many times. You, know, you can't with, just say with, you with... were wrong and you were right. <laughs> no, it doesn't I, work that way. I know. And, and maybe they would take the ones that are the easiest one to follow. Yeah. yeah, easy doesn't mean it's right. <laughs> Unfortunately, that's not really the way the world works. Yeah. Yeah. So, how many horses do you have at your place right now? Oh, I don't know whether I should answer that question. <laughs> my my husband says too many, <laughs> and I remind my husband very often that when we got married, he had more horses than I did because my husband also rides, and okay. so did his father, and so did his father. So horses, both sides of the family. So I keep reminding him, actually, when we got married, you had twice as many horses as I did. So you can't now be surprised that I have horses. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So I have two stallions. Um, I have two broodmares. One is due to have a foal next month. Um, One is weaning a foal right now. Um, So there's two... I'll call them both foals. One's almost a yearling. The other one's almost two. 
they're both colts, they need to be not colts anymore. As soon as the weather is dry enough and there's no mud, <laughs> they will be gelded. Um, we have a very ancient Shetland pony, who was my daughter's first pony, and he was just wonderful. Um, and she, she have a current pony, so two ponies. And we have, I think, five geldings. So, uh, 10 or 11 or 12, something like that. <laughs> a couple of them are on different properties right now because, like I said, I was injured, so my pupil has has one and and I have one with another pupil as a as a paddock mate for hers. But, um, yeah, a lot. <laughs> but we also, we we have 350 acres and we breed cattle and yeah. got some sheep and some chooks we've got. <clears throat> and they live outside, no stables. Mm. So they live like horses. Yeah. That's great. That's a great life when you when yes. they can be outside and, and still uh, people who are looking after them, that they have food enough and water enough. And then... We are fortunate enough that we grow our own oats for chaff and our own hay. Yeah. Um, our, our oats didn't grow very well last year. We have... <laughs> We have a, a vermin control problem. <laughs> so we have wallabies and possums and some kangaroos, which wow. to everybody not in Australia, they think, oh, these are so cute. Oh, uh, yeah. But, um... <laughs> I, I know. I have been to Australia, <laughs> yes, so no, rabbits, jumping the, all over. The all English <laughs> introduced. Yeah, yeah. So they're, they're, they're a vermin control problem now. So the wow. wallabies ate all of our oats crop last year. Wow. Um, so we didn't have any oats. And so my husband actually bought a bag of chaff last week and he was horrified because it cost $27 and he has never bought a bag of chaff in his whole life <laughs> cool. because we've always grown our own and we've run yes. out. Yeah. 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 So we, we do things the very old fashioned way. Um, so the farm itself is my, was my husband's father's father's farm and it was originally um, cleared by a team of draft horses and we still have an old sunshine reaper binder which puts the oats into sheaves and then we stand them up manually walk around the paddock and stand up the sheaves of oats in the paddock into stooks and it dries in the paddock for a few weeks and we get pitchforks and bring it in <laughs> then we put it through a chaff cutter the chaff cutter has upgraded it's no longer horse driven it goes on the tractor <laughs> but it's still the original old timber platform chaff cutter all manual takes about seven people to cut chaff so um for the people that complain about the cost of things <laughs> we just invite them to help and say this is how work intensive it is to actually feed your horse yeah plus you need the acreage and you need the machinery <laughs> So don't buy your and you don't, and pay do, for it. You don't, don't complain that the farmer's charging you money. <laughs> Farmers are allowed to make a profit as well. <laughs> and yeah. you know, don't need a gym. No. No. <laughs> <laughs> and also our, our oats, we don't we don't head our oats. So they're full oat stalks with the oats in them that go into the chaff. So real food. Real food. Instead of, you know. Yeah. 
you also get uh, very very strong animals then it's not fertilizer and all these things they're yep. putting in the the food so yeah and our homegrown hay as well like we yeah we do some of the oats for for chaff but we also put some of it in hay and we also put some in silage to feed the cattle yeah. but um where we feed it out in the paddocks we'll spread it you know into a different pile every day yeah <laughs> and then that will reseed the ground and it'll grow oats if we've used oat and hay yeah we'll just grow the good pasture that we've sown down to make the hay so we keep all that energy in the system yeah 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 that's fantastic and we have lovely little critters called dung beetles so i don't i don't pick up the manure in my paddocks we spread it around Yes. And the dung beetles eat it and the dung beetles churn it back into the they, ground and it keeps yeah. the soil good. Yeah. That's great. That's great. Everybody should have that that yeah, way. And yeah, and you've got to be a little careful with your drenching regime. So we, we do our fecal egg counts and make sure that if they require a drench, that if it's dung beetle season, we choose one that doesn't kill the dung beetles because they're important little critters because mm. some That's of them right. do kill the dung beetles and then you've got to go and pick up your poo. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. Let nature and it doesn't take get recycled back it. into the soil. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, fantastic. And you also have students. You're a coach as well for Yes, yes, other, I've been a coach for, yeah. Uh, I think I did my first pony club camp when I was about, 12 years old which is very young to be a coach but like I said I went with my mum everywhere from when I was yes. and I had proper lessons with a proper coach from when I was seven years old um and yeah so I think mum had been asked to coach somewhere and my my dad was off working and um he, he used to be a shift worker when I was a child and um so she said well yeah I can come and coach but I'll have to bring my daughter with me and they said that's fine she can coach too <laughs> so I was very young when I started coaching and yeah. then I got my proper qualifications when I was old enough um yeah I did I did pony club coaching and stuff before I had qualifications because you have to be 18 to get qualified and then I I did my uh, national coaching certificate and then I did my specialization as well so in Australia we have uh, it used to just start at level one. It now starts at intro. So there's a lower level below that now. But I did my level one, which is general coach, which they teach Olympic disciplines. So dressage, cross country, show jumping are all in the general level one. And then you move up if you like to. And there's there's also general at level two, but there's dressage specialist and there's jumping specialist. And I have both of those qualifications, which is a little bit odd because most dressage riders don't jump <laughs> and most jumping riders think flat work is boring so <laughs> I'm a little bit odd um, and I'm also a coach educator so that means that um, people who want to become coaches I can help them even if they don't want to be qualified I can still help them learn how to how to be an yes. effective coach and share their knowledge with other people but I can also assess them as part of our national coaching scheme as a coach educator. Um, and I'm also a steward 
a jumping steward and I'm also a shadowing course designer. So I have lots of little pieces of paper. <laughs> um, but they, they're all, I like learning things and I like being able to share correct knowledge. And I think having qualifications makes that, um, it's not that I know any more than other people. It's just that it, it makes it a little more robust because mm. I have someone to answer to. If I share the wrong knowledge, I get in trouble by the National Association, but also it proves that I've learned the things correctly because I've passed the tests and it means that my knowledge can be um, verified, I guess. So, yeah. yeah, the qualifications to me are important just because there's something that, I've proven that I can do, <laughs> you know. Yeah, I understand. Yeah. yeah. That's a lot. Do you only have 24 hours a day in <laughs> Tasmania? <laughs> oh, yeah. I used to also be a state delegate for the Show Jumping Association. I was on the, the show jumping. Yeah. The, the state board for many, many years. I gave that up too much too much yeah yeah um but i did it for a long time but yeah look i think for people that want to learn things it's a, it's really fun the the officials officials are awesome so all of our officials that we have so whether they're judges or course designers or stewards or they help run shows whatever they do they're always really really happy to share their information um and and they're not doing it because they just want to use you as slave labor. That's people seem to have this thing that they oh they want me to go and help at the show because they just want someone to mm. lift poles. Mm. But that's not actually what it's about. They actually want to share their knowledge. Yeah. So like I said, my 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 breeding mentor, Leeson, he he was a course designer. Um, and I have my, my current course designer mentor, Michael, he's um He's a level three FEI course designer. Um, he also writes and edits maths textbooks for the school curriculum as a day job. <laughs> so he's, he's, he's an educator, um, but he just wants people to learn things mm. and he will teach them. And he is really happy to share the knowledge. And I don't know any course designer who isn't. So if you really want to learn about show jumping, just go and offer to help them move the course at the show yeah and they'll help you because yeah. they want horses to jump better mm. and they want people to learn how to help horses to jump better they don't want you to just be a slave and pick up poles they actually genuinely want you to take in to the knowledge understand. and ask them yeah. questions they're really happy to explain mm. so we get offered all of this sort of training and luckily for us in Tasmania usually it's free um, to get the qualifications because we get grants from our sport and recreation people okay. to to bring more officials onto the books, but um even if it's just casually at a show, they they're always really happy to share knowledge. Mm -hmm. So it's it's one of those little things that that might seem confronting walking out into the middle there where there's people doing stuff, but everyone will welcome you and ask questions and say why did why did you put that particular fence there you had it here somewhere else and you've moved it can you tell me what why you did that yeah 
and there will always be a reason. They won't just do it for no reason. No, no. And they're always going to be happy to share that with you because they want the horses to jump well and they want to share the knowledge so that the next generation of people can help the horses jump well. Mm. So seek out all the knowledge you can find. And because at the show, all of the course designers will be properly qualified, then that's where you can trust that the knowledge that you're getting is actually the right knowledge. Yeah. So that that's an easier way. Um, so when I was talking about the you know young pony club people who don't have parents with horses mm-hmm. choosing the wrong place to get their knowledge, if you go to a qualified show, like a recognised show run under the proper rules, the officials there, the judges and the course designers, they will always be people with qualifications and you know that they've learnt the right things and they'll share the right knowledge with you. Yeah. Anybody you, can call themselves a coach. Yes, yes. You cannot go to a, you cannot go to a show and jump a, jumps at a show without a qualified course designer. It just doesn't happen here. No. Mm. And this is not all. You have also a, a Zoom call. I don't know oh, if yes. it's weekly or it's a weekly currently and because it's still dark out so when we get to summer so uh we have daylight savings here in tasmania so often it'll be still daylight outside till 9 p.m so a bit bit too late for zoom calls after 9 p.m but while it's still dark outside at night time um yes zoom calls every week and i'm meeting people like you people from all around the world it's fabulous Yeah. yeah love it that's fantastic. You are very active. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sometimes I do need to sleep a bit. <laughs> I try and I try and have a day off a week, but uh, it sometimes doesn't happen. No, <laughs> I know the feeling. <laughs> yeah, I yeah. bet you do. But Tomorrow think... is meant to be my day off, but I'm going to the gym and I'm going to ride a simulator horse. Ah, okay. To see whether my back is stable enough to actually yes. get on a real horse. And then I'm going to take my pupils to ride the simulator horse. Yeah. Uh, in a couple of weeks' time. So that's, that's a lot of off. fun. <laughs> <laughs> I hope so. Yeah. Yeah. But that's what my days off look like. I'm still doing stuff. <laughs> yeah, but yeah. I think we are. We we love it. Uh, oh, of course we do. We wouldn't yeah. do it if we didn't. Yeah. Uh, and TV and that is horses, just you know. not it. <laughs> no, no, it's not it. Oh. No. And I think, you know, reminding people that they got a horse because they love horses. Yes, that's right. I think sometimes they they start to forget that and they want to go and compete or win things or use the horse for some certain purpose. And then you, if you ask them, they'll all say, actually, when I first got into horses, it was just because I loved horses. And if we can help them recapture that, I think our horses will be happy. That's right. That's right. And if anybody wants to get in touch with you, where can they find you? Um, so my my website is called classicaljumping.com. Um, very easy to spell, I hope. All one word, classicaljumping.com. Um, and my email address is coach at classicaljumping.com. And, of course, I'm on Facebook and that's uh, classical. Uh, Thompson classical jumping it's got Thompson in the front of it 
and Thompson is spelled T-H-O-M-S-O-N. So it's a little bit different spelling. If you spell it wrong, you won't find me on Facebook. Um, and I have also a Facebook group which has some videos and free training in it. You'll find that by the Facebook page. And you'll find me on Zoom um, Monday nights. And there's, there's free exercises on my website. So I'd be very happy if people would like to look at the free exercises because it'll help them jump. And they are actually jumping exercises that aren't jumping <laughs> just to be tricky. So they're actually poles on the ground set up to help jumping riders assess whether they're ready to move up the levels. Because if they can't do these three exercises, they shouldn't move up yet. But they're also very handy for dressage riders because, of course, I do that as well. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, yeah, so for anyone that would like to look at those free exercises, um, they're very simple to set up and I'd be really happy to see a video of them and they can they can send it to me and we can chat over Zoom because that's anywhere in the world you can do that. Got to love Zoom. <laughs> yeah, that's great. It's great. Yeah. Really. Yeah. So, one good that, thing that came out of COVID, I think, that yes. everybody connected a lot <laughs> further afield than normal. Yeah, but that's a great opportunity, I think. Uh, free training, who wouldn't? Yep. Yeah, <laughs> that's a good yeah. thing. It is, and yeah. I'm, I'm really happy to share my knowledge with anyone because, like I said, I think it's so important that we help more people mm. to help more horses. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, it's been such a pleasure to have you here today. Thank you uh, so much for inviting me. I'm so pleased to be able to talk to you. Thank you. And you took your little, little time to be here. <laughs> it's fantastic. <laughs> it's okay. I'll go and cook my family dinner now. That'll yeah. <laughs> thank uh, you so much, Anne. Thank you. Thank you a lot. And thank you to all of you out there. I hope you want to subscribe and uh, be here on this podcast so have a nice day everybody and bye bye <laughs>